0: Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. This is Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to the following message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, go to northwoodbaptist.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. I hope the following message blesses you And helps you connect faith to life. Take your Bibles and find the book of Judges. Judges is in the Old Testament if you're unfamiliar. Uh, with with the book of Judges. It's in the Old Testament, seventh book of the Old Testament. So if you go to the book of Genesis, start there and just go forward a few books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then the book of Judges. Judges chapter 2, we're going to read in just a moment. Judges Judges 2, 1 through 10. Judges 2, 1 through 10 are the verses we're going to read together in just a moment. If you don't own a Bible, that's okay because in the seat before you, you will find a copy of the Bible. Take take that Bible and find Judges with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible With you, I begin to read it and learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. We are jumping into a new series of messages. We're going to spend the next few months looking at the book of Judges together, and it's a fascinating book. and And just to remind you, the reason why we do this, listen reason why we study books of the Bible together is because we all need a knowledge of God's Word. I can stand up here and give you a motivational speech or pep talk, and be honest with you, I'm not really good at that, but I could do that, right? But that's not what you need. It's not what I need. What we need is the truth of God's Word, and so we're committed to studying the Bible together. That's what we do at our church. We study the Word because we believe the Word transforms us, and this book, this ancient book, Book of Judges, is an odd book, but there's much in here that we need to consider uh, that God is saying to us. So Judges 2, 1 through 10 is where we're spending our time together this morning. So it is a significant year for us here at Northwood because we are celebrating our 50th anniversary as a church, and we're looking forward to celebrating that with you this year. Uh, But the church I came from before I was the pastor here in North Augusta, while I was at that church, I served there for seven years, and, and during my time there, we celebrated, now watch this, our 250th anniversary as a church. That's a long time, right? And I don't know how it worked, but we still had charter members there. It was crazy, right? And so, so. 250 years as a church, and so, so we had one particular Sunday that we had a big celebration day, and we celebrated our anniversary, and when we had that particular Sunday that we celebrated our anniversary, we, we, we brought in a gentleman who at that time was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee, so I don't know if you know anything about that, but that's like the big wig. He's the guy that that, that gives leadership and insight to the governing entities of the SBC, and so he was a big deal, and so we, we brought him in, and, and he came and and challenged us on our 250th anniversary and did a great job gave a great message and and then after the service we did what most rural more traditional Southern Baptist churches do we had a potluck lunch right like a big potluck lunch and so we went down to the Family Life Center and the tables were set out and there was you know covered dish after covered dish as far as the eye could see right now, I don't know about you and what you think about covered-dish dinners. I'll be honest with you, they're, they're, they're okay. They're not necessarily my favorite thing. And so when I go to a covered-dish dinner, I always look for the fried chicken and the macaroni and cheese like any good Baptist preacher would. And so I got my macaroni and cheese and my fried chicken, and I sat down. I'm not a big fan of casseroles. I mean, maybe some of you like casseroles. Casseroles are a bit weird to me because you never know what's in them, right? And I'm not a vegetable guy. I like meat, potatoes, and and people sneak things into casseroles that shouldn't be in there. And so I'm just not a big casserole fan. My wife, however, she's never met a casserole she didn't like, right? Like, she loves... And just FYI, I got permission to share this story before I share it, so don't get... Okay, so she's cool with this. So she likes casseroles. She's a fan of casseroles. And, and as far as you could see on the buffet table was casserole after casserole. And so I sat down, and, and after I sat down, Stacy came and sat down beside me. And I promise you, I'm not making this up. This is not an exaggeration. She stopped at every casserole on the way down and got a sampling of every single casserole there was. And so, listen, you see my wife. She, she's a pretty petite woman, right? But on her plate... On her plate was a mound of food as high as Mount Everest. I kid you not. I mean, I'm looking at the plate and I'm looking at her like there's no way she can put that in her body. That is not humanly possible, right? So we're sitting there. She's got this big old plate of food. I've got my, you know, fried chicken and my macaroni and cheese. And sitting next to me is our special guest, right? Uh, the gentleman who is the... the, the, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee. And, you know, my, my, my warped way of thinking is, man, if I can get in with him, maybe someday I'll be the next president of the SBC or whatever the case may be, right? And so someone want to make a good impression. And then my wife sits down with this ginormous plate of food. And so he looks at her, and then he looks at that plate of food. He says, there's no way she can eat that. I said, I know. I don't know what she's thinking, right? She can't eat all that. And then this is what he said to her. If you can eat all of that, I'll give you $100 right now. And then I said to my wife, you ain't getting up. (laughs) We got bills to pay, college fund. You're going to eat that food, right? And then I watched this. I have never in my life been so proud of my wife. She ate every last bit of food on her plate, right? And, And got the $100. I think she bought a pair of boots or something. I have no idea. But 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 when she sat down at that table and got that challenge, she finished what she started. So so here's the question for you this morning. In 2020, will you finish what you've started? Because I know, right? Because I'm in the same boat with you. I know that as we look toward 2020, it's the new year, and you and I, we've already made some resolutions. We've already set some goals, and you know the common goals, the common resolutions to be a little bit healthier this year or to get your financial house in order or whatever the case may be. You've set some goals, and you know how it works. In a few weeks, those goals are long gone, and you're on to something else. We well, you finish what you've started. And the bigger question is in your walk with Jesus, right? As you look toward 2020 and beyond, will you be faithful to finish what you've started in your relationship with Jesus? Will you be faithful to grow in likeness? Will you be faithful to fulfill the calling he has on your life? Will you be faithful to finish what you've started? This is why the passage we're looking at this morning is so helpful for us. Because in the passage we're looking at this morning, you have a group of people. The nation of Israel. God has brought them into the promised land. And you know the story. For 40 years, uh, they wandered in the wilderness. And then Moses died and God raised up another leader, Joshua, who brought them into the promised land. Now the question is, will the people of Israel finish what they've started? And the answer is a resounding no. And so in this book for us, not only this morning, but in the months to come, we're going to see examples of people who cannot finish what they started, who cannot obey God. In fact, when we look at the book of Judges, there's this cycle that repeats itself. For a while, the people of Israel, they'll obey God. And then all of a sudden, they'll stop. And they'll turn to the gods of the Canaanites. They'll start worshiping the other gods and and they'll take their eyes off God and then God will chastise them and he will judge them by allowing them to be enslaved by their enemies. And so the nation of Israel, they'll be enslaved by their enemies. And then as they're enslaved by their enemies, they'll recognize, man, this is not a good thing. And they'll cry out to God and ask for God to deliver them. And God will raise up a hero, if you will. He'll raise up a judge. But these heroes, they're broken. They can't seem to get it right either. And when you think of that word judge, you and I think about somebody who sits on a bench and delivers a verdict. But in the context of this particular book. A judge was somebody who was a, a military conqueror, right? Now, just FYI, I, I, I grabbed this off the internet last night and didn't prove it well. Um, Israel's misspelled. I know that, but overlook that. I, I didn't do it. Somebody else did. So, so anyway, this, this, this judge would lead the people to victory and, deli- and deliver them from their enemies. And so after he delivered them from their enemies, the people would serve the Lord again. And you know what happened? That judge who delivered them, he would die. And then after that judge would die, the people would go right back into sin, and the process would start over. And so what you see in the book of Judges is this cycle repeating itself over and over again because the Hebrew people can't seem to finish what they started. And so this is a helpful book for us as we see the mess that is in this book. And let me just warn you as we go ahead and start this series, uh, this is like a PG-13 book. There are some very graphic and gory stories in this book, but there are some lessons that we must learn from this particular time period and these particular people who are trying uh, to to, to dwell in this land. And this morning, what I want to show you from the text we're going to look at is how we finish what we started. I want to give you three ways this morning that we can finish what we've started in our relationship with Jesus. So take your Bibles, look at Judges chapter 2. We're going to start there, then backtrack. Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. When you find that passage, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Baquam, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Baakum, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went to each his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of a hundred ten. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Tinoth, heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you for a new year, a new decade. Thank you, Father, for a new opportunity today to serve you and to serve you well. And we want to finish what we've started. We want to walk faithfully with our Lord, the one who gave his life for us. And so, Father, I pray right now as we look at this passage of Scripture together, you would encourage us. You would encourage us to be a people who walk faithfully with you, who finish what we've started in our relationship with Jesus And I pray this morning that as you speak to us through your word, that we will be a people who listen carefully to what you have to say to us. Thank you, God, that right now, in this moment, your spirit is speaking to us. Help us to listen. Help us to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Now, what is going to happen in the book of Judges is that the author of this book is going to highlight... Lots of different judges, military leaders who delivered the Israelites from their enemies. But before we get there, chapter 1 serves as kind of an overview to show us how Israel got into the mess they got themselves into, right? And and just to lay all my cards on the table, if you were here last year, we looked at this passage last year when we did our 100 days through the Bible, and so we're we're revisiting a passage that we looked at last year. You probably don't remember because I don't remember either, but we were here last year, right? And so here we are again in Judges chapter 1. Now, you also need to understand that Judges really is in some ways a transitional book because we have seen in the first five books Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God raised up a leader, Moses, right? And then he dies, and God raises up another leader, Joshua. And, And God uses these two leaders to ultimately bring the people into the promised land. However, when we get to the book of Judges, there is no centralized leader anymore. Joshua is dead. Moses is dead. And what should happen is that the people of Israel should look to God as their leader. But they don't. And this is why they get themselves in the mess that they get themselves in. And now when we get out of Judges and into First and Second Samuel, God is going to raise up kings to rule. But in this instance, we don't have a centralized leader. What we do have are different tribes, right? Twelve different tribes. And, and back in the book of Joshua, God told the people that when they came into the land, He told each tribe what part of the land they would possess. But God also said, now when you go to the land, there are going to be inhabitants already there, the Canaanites. Now, if you know anything about the Bible and the Old Testament, you know that the Canaanites, they were wicked people. They worshipped all kinds of false gods and and did atrocious things. And, And back in Deuteronomy chapter 18, now watch this, God said, listen, you're going to wipe them out. God is going to use the nation of Israel as a tool of divine judgment against the Canaanites. Now, for us sitting in this room some you know, thousands of years later, it doesn't sound fair, right, that God would wipe out this many people, right? But, watch this. Here we are, Judges chapter 1. Now, you have 12 different tribes. Judah is getting ready to go into the land and occupy their particular territory. You see, what happens in Judges is it starts really well. Listen to what it says. You come down uh, to verse uh, 2, for example. The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites. And so Judah and Simeon, they join forces and they go into the land that was allotted for the tribe of Judah. And there they go to battle. And it starts well. Look at what it says. You come to verse 4. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek at Bezek. Now, Adonai Bezek, he is a king over this particular area. Now, listen carefully. They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Now, listen to this. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and cut him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. That's a bad day, right? I mean, I've stumped my toe before. It doesn't feel too good, right? Can you imagine having them cut off? I mean, why? Why would they cut off the dude's thumbs and big toes? Well, apparently, this particular king had a reputation of doing that himself. Listen to what the text says. Verse 7, And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. He had done this before. Now listen to what he says. As I have done, so God has repaid me. You think about going into this land, and you have all these inhabitants, and and we want to say it's unfair that God would wipe out these Canaanites. But Adonai Bezek would say it was absolutely fair. I got what I deserved, right? Whenever you reject God and choose to live your life in rejection of Him, oh, you will get exactly what you deserve, and it is absolutely fair, you see. But anyway, everything starts off real well. Judah, Simeon, they go in and they defeat Adonai Bezek, and And it seems like everything's going to go just according to plan. They're going to drive out the inhabitants of the land. You come down, and let me show you another interesting story. You, you follow? You come down to verse 12. And Caleb said, you remember Caleb, don't you? You go back into the Old Testament a little earlier, and, and you had 12 spies that Moses sent, into the promised land to scout it out. You remember what happened? The spies came back, and and two of those spies were Caleb and Joshua. The other ten said, man, that's not possible. We can't go in there. Uh, Those people who dwell in that land, they're like giants, and, and we're like grasshoppers. We'll never be able to defeat them. But Joshua and Caleb said, oh, yes, we can. And so here you have it. Caleb is a man of faith. And he has some territory to conquer. And he says this, listen, if there is one who will rise up and go in and defeat my enemies, I will give him my daughter as his wife. And so a man rises up, a man by the name of Othniel. And we'll look at Othniel in a couple of weeks. He's going to become the first judge over Israel. But Othniel, he goes in and he defeats the enemy. And Caleb, as a man of his word, does exactly what he said he would do. He gives Othniel, his daughter, as his wife. Now, look at what it says. You come down in in, in chapter 1, and you look at verse 14. When she came to him, this is speaking of Caleb's daughter, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, Give me a blessing. Since you have set me in the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water and Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Now that detail is significant. Do you know why? Because here we are. You have Caleb giving land to Othniel and his daughter in the promised land, and and so she has the foresight to know this is my land, right? God promised us this land. This is where we are. God has given it to me. And I ain't going anywhere. In fact, Daddy, here's what I want. Give me not only some land, but give me some water. Because I plan on planting some, uh, some, some gardens and growing some food and, and watering my livestock. Give me some water to go along. My, we are settling down here because this is our land. And so it starts well, right? The book of Judges starts with, with victory and conquest and people doing exactly what God had told them to do. But They don't finish well. Because as you're reading through this overview of what was taking place in those days, all of a sudden, it shifts. Look at verse 19, for example. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Here we go. A failure. Because as Judah looks out and sees the enemy... This enemy has technology. This enemy has strength. This enemy is large and in charge, and, and they have chariots, right? And, and, and Judah says, we can't. Do you see them? Do you see those enemies? They have chariots. They are going to squash us. And so they don't drive them out of the land. God had told them to. In fact, God had told them this kind of day was going to come. Let me show you something real quick. Go back to the book of Deuteronomy. Just go back a couple books, just real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1. Listen to what the Bible says. In Deuteronomy 20, verse 1, God says, When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and what? Chariots and an army larger than your own, You shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. God had already promised that when the day came, that they would go against massive armies who had technology and had chariots, that he was going to be with them. But in this moment, the tribe of Judah forgot. The obstacle was too big, too much to overcome, and they began to say to God, we can't do this, right? In fact, if you go back over to Exodus chapter 14, when God brings uh, the the, the Hebrew people through the Red Sea, you know what it says in Exodus 14, uh, verses 24 and 25? That God clogged the wheels of the chariots of the Egyptians. God was more than able to handle the enemies of Judah. But in this moment, Judah doesn't trust. Now let me show you something else. You come down and you see what happens in verse 22, right? What happened... Beginning, things look like they're going well, and then all of a sudden things stop going well. They're not able to finish what they start. You come to verse 22. The house of Joseph went up against Bethel, and the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now the name of the city was formerly Luz, and the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, please show us the way into the city. So here you have it. The the tribe of Joseph, they're scouting out the land, and and this is the area they're going to go in and conquer, and they're trying to figure out how to get into the city. And a native comes out, and they see the native, and they say, hey, show us, show us a way in, and we'll spare you. And he does. The native shows them a way in, and, and they spare the native, and that native, now watch this, what he's going to do is he's going to build his own city in the promised land. What were the Israelites supposed to do? drive them out. They spare someone. He built his own city. You see what happens? They don't finish what they started. They don't trust that God can show them a way into the city. Instead, they trust a foreigner. They trust a pagan idolater, right? Let me show you what else the Bible says. You come down to verse 27. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethsheon. You come down to verse 28. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. What were they supposed to do? Drive them out completely. Did they do it? No. Instead, they put them to forced labor. You come down and you read again. Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites, verse 29. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, but became but they became subject to forced labor. And you see it again in, in verse uh, 33, another tribe is unable to drive out their enemies, and so they put them to forced labor. You see it again in verse 35. Another tribe is not able to drive out their enemies, and so they subject them to forced labor. You see it? It starts off so well, right? You can imagine it. As they begin this campaign in the promised land to take their territory, they have a resolution. They have a goal. We're going to do this. But along the way, they get sloppy, Along the way, they get fearful. Along the way, they make some compromises. And along the way, they do not finish what they started. And you come to chapter 2, right? And and you read, for example, in the latter part of verse 2. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? God says, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. And as we read the book of Judges, that's exactly what happened because they failed to obey God and failed to do what He said. These enemies that stayed in the land did indeed become a snare to them. Not only a snare, but enslaved them. And then you come down, look at this last verse, verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. I mean, you think about it. Here you have it. Everything was leading up to this point. God brought the people out of Egypt. He gave them a law, made a covenant with them. He was going to bring them into this land to dwell and live for generation after generation. And one generation passes away, and the next generation does not know about the God that brought them out of Egypt. Tragic. And tragic all because this generation who went into the land, they did not finish what they started. And here you are this morning in this room. And the question for you, the question for me, are we finishing what we started? In our walk with Jesus, are we remaining faithful to him? Will we finish well what we have started? And let's be honest, some of us this morning, we're much like these ancient Israelites. We've made some compromises along the way. We've gotten off track a bit. And I want to sound a warning to you this morning. I want you to get back on track because I want you to finish what you've started in your walk with Jesus. And so just quickly, I want to give you three ways from this text that I want to challenge you to finish what you've started. Now, here's the first way. Don't say, I can't. When you can. I mean, wasn't that the issue? You have these Hebrew people from the tribe of Judah. They see these chariots. We can't. Oh, yes, they can. God had already told them that they could. And in your life as well, there have been some areas in your life over the course of the past year, the past five years, the past month even, where you've said to God, I can't. And God's saying to you, oh, yes, you can I've put my spirit in you. I've given you my word to guide you and instruct you. Don't tell me you can't because you absolutely can. We hand out a list this morning. And and we asked you to to write down names of people that are close to you but don't have a relationship with Jesus. And we're going to challenge you over the next few months to begin praying for them and sharing the gospel. And, And already in your mind, some of you have already said, I can't. I can't, I can't even think of people to pray for, and I, I certainly can't share the gospel with them. Well, yes, you can. God has already told you that you could. He's empowered you to do so, right? And for some of us in this room, it's, it's a relationship gone bad. There's someone who's hurt us in our past, and, and you know you need to forgive them, but you keep saying what? I just can't. I can't get past it. I can't get past the hurt that, that he caused me, or I can't get past what she's done to me. I can't let go. I can't forgive that person. And God's saying, oh, yes, you can. Or for some of us, it's something else, right? That, that this is the year that God wants you to take that step of faith and go on that first international mission trip. And you're saying, I can't. I can't because I don't have the resources. I don't have the time. I, I, I don't know what i do when I get there. I, I just can't do that. And God's saying, oh, Yes, you can. And maybe for for you, it's it's something else, right? There's a step of faith that that God's been calling you to take, and, and at every turn, you know what He's calling you to do, but you keep saying, God, I just can't do it. And here's reality for you, my friend. Reality is it's not that you can't. It's simply that you won't, right? You're choosing at every turn disobedience, rejection, you're choosing to say, no, it's not that you can't because God has given you everything you need to obey him and live out his will for your life, but yet you choose to say, God, I can't. It's not that you can't, it's that you won't. And so the question for you as we start this new decade is what are those areas for you? What are those areas in your walk with Jesus right now where you're saying, I can't? Because here's what I promise you. If you're saying to God, I can't, you know what you won't do? You won't finish well. You won't grow in Christ's likeness It's not possible to grow in Christ's likeness when you're constantly saying to God, I can't. Oh, you can, my friend, because he's given you everything you need. I want to show you a picture I brought. Um, You might know what this is. This is actually in my bathroom right above the shower. It's recessed lighting. Our recessed lighting light bulb went out months ago, right? And, and so, so Stacy kept saying, Tommy, you've got to get that light bulb changed. You've got to get that light bulb changed. And, and, and listen, I don't know how many pastors it takes to change a light bulb, but but more than me. And so so, so I kept looking at like, like I, I, like a regular light bulb I can change. You just screw it out, screw it in, but... I, how do you even get up in that thing? I, I don't understand. It. And so if just for months, I've just kind of overlooked it, right? And Stacy kept saying, you, you got to change it. you got to change it. And, just, and, I, and I hate to, to admit this. I know for some of you, you know exactly what to do, but I don't. I had no clue how to change a light bulb and a recessed lighting fixture. And so I just kind of ignored it and didn't do it and, until finally, I mean, it's just it was time. It was time to, to, to suck it up and, and figure it out, right? And so I got the ladder out and put the ladder in the bathroom so I could get up there and reach the thing. And I got there and I, I tried to screw it and it doesn't screw. And I'm like, I got a screwdriver out I think I could just, you know, yank it down somehow. That was a bad idea. And then so, so, so I did what, what everybody does who doesn't know how to do something. I went to YouTube, Right. And so I got on YouTube, and I searched recess lighting, how to change the light bulb, and, 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 and I watched a two-minute video, and you know how simple it is? Like, all you got to do is stick your finger up in that little glass thing and pull down. It's amazing. It's like a miracle, like a genius designed this thing. It just pops right down, and you change Once I figured out how to do it, it took me all of 15 seconds to do it. Here's the problem. For months, I said, I can't do it. I can't. I don't know how to do it. I can't do it, right? When the reality was all the resources I needed to do it were right there. YouTube, it was there for me to teach me how to do it, right? It's not that I couldn't do it. It's just for months I choose not to do it. I wouldn't do it. I won't do it, right? For whatever reason, maybe it was because, you know, I'm, I'm a little slow in those areas and I don't feel confident in my ability to fix things. I have no idea, but I refused over and over again to learn how to do something like change a light bulb. And I bet in your life as well, there are those things that you're just simply refusing to do in your walk with Jesus. And do you know why it is? Do you know why it is that you keep saying to God, I can't? you know why it is you do that? Let me show you why. It's because you've lost sight of the goal, right? That really is the, the heart of this. You've lost sight of the goal. Listen, the goal of life, you know this, I don't even have to tell you this. The goal of life isn't to become wealthy. The goal of life isn't the American dream. The goal of life isn't to, to you know, have the happy family. The goal All those things are nice, right? But that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal of life is to know Jesus, to love him and to live for him and to obey him. That's the goal. At the end of the day, when this life is over, let's admit it, That's all that really matters is your relationship with Jesus Christ and how you have lived before him. That's the goal, to live for Jesus. And here's what I know. Whenever you say, I can't to God, now watch this and come in real close. Whenever you say, I can't to God, you're saying, I can to something else. Right? When when you say, God, I can't forgive that person who hurt me, what you are saying is, I can be bitter and hold on to it. When you are saying to God, I can't share the gospel with those people that I'm writing down on that list, you are saying, I can forget about them. And I can not care about them and their eternal destiny. Whenever you say I can't to God, you're saying I can to something else. And it might be for you, you're saying I can to the pleasures of this world, to things in this life that at this moment, for whatever reason to you, look far more appealing to you than the real goal of life of knowing Christ and making Him known, you see? So just think about it this way ask yourself just a few questions this morning. What right now brings you the most satisfaction? Because whatever it is for you that brings you the most satisfaction in life, that at this present moment is what you're saying, I can too. Right? For some of you you've got it on the calendar you can't wait you've got that 2020 dream vacation planned out you've got it set out for june the 1st through the 8th and and you're saying i can to that i can make sacrifices financially i can make sacrifices in my time i can do whatever it takes to get there because i get there man that's going to satisfy me right you're saying i can to whatever you think is going to bring you the most satisfaction you see You're saying, I can, and you're also giving your best efforts to what appeals to you the most. For some of you, what? It's your job. You give everything you can to your job because you believe that if you give everything you can to your job, it's going to bring you satisfaction. And so when the boss says, what? Stay late tonight. Work extra. You don't have time to go home and see your family. You say, I can, right? Or think about it this way. What consumes your thoughts? Because whatever consumes your thoughts, whatever you think about the most, whatever you think is going to bring you the most pleasure and the most satisfaction and the most joy, that's what you're saying I can to. See, whatever you find most appealing, whatever you find most attractive, whatever you think is going to give you the most satisfaction, that's what you're constantly saying I can to. And so what you do, what I do, is these things that we think are more appealing than the real goal of life, to know Jesus and make Him known. We say, I can to those things, while we say, I can't to God. Do you follow me? And so for far too long, some of us have lost sight of the goal. We've made our lives about other things that we think will bring us satisfaction. We've made about lives about other things that we think we should devote our time and energy to. We've made our lives about things that are consuming our thoughts And we've said I can to all these things, but every time you say I can to something that's more appealing to you than God is, you are saying I can't to God. You've lost sight of the goal. And so for you this morning, have you? Have you lost sight of the goal? Because here we are, start of a new decade. It's time to put your eyes back on the real goal of life. Because all these other things that you're saying I can to, they are not going to give you what Jesus Christ can give you in a relationship with himself. That job isn't going to satisfy you. That dream vacation is not going to ultimately satisfy you. That money in the bank account is not going to ultimately satisfy you. But Jesus will. It's time to stop saying, I can't, to God, and past time to start saying, I can and I will. So, how do we do it? How, how do we finish well, Right? We stop saying, I can't to God, right? We don't lose sight of the goal. And finally, now watch this, we don't forget what Jesus has finished for you. Let me show you something real quick when we're done. Come down and look at at chapter 2 again. You look at chapter 2 and you look at verse 1. And the angel of the Lord, he says to the people, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Now, remember Genesis chapter 12? When God calls Abraham to follow him, he says, I'm going to bless you. Here's my promise. Here's my covenant. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation, a nation that will be blessed and that will bless all nations. That was the covenant. And then you read Judges. The people are in the land. but There doesn't seem to be a lot of blessing, does there? In fact, what you see instead is enslavement. There was a covenant. A covenant that God would bless His people. But you don't seem to see much blessing in the book of Judges. You see catastrophe after catastrophe. You see what sin does. But you don't see a lot of blessing until, until several thousand years later. When a child was born. A son of Abraham. Son of David. You see, what happened in the nation of Israel is they could never finish what they started. But finally, one came, a man named Jesus, who, thank God, finished what he started. And he finished it for you. He finished it for me. He is the only one who has ever lived a perfect life. And he did that for you, my friend. He never sinned for you. And then he went to a cross, right? And he died the death that you and I deserve. He did that for you. He took our sin upon himself, the punishment that we deserve, and gave us in exchange his righteous, perfect life. So when the Father looks at us, for those of us who believe in Jesus through faith, He sees the sinlessness of Christ applied to our lives and declares us innocent even though we are not. And He finished what He started. This one who died on the cross didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead three days later for you. He finished what He started for you. He finished what we started. None of us in this room have been over the course of our lives completely faithful to God. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned. We've all missed the mark. And aren't you thankful that Jesus has done for you what you could not do for yourself? You know what that means? When you believe, when you trust, when you know that Jesus has finished for you what he started, you don't have to live enslaved to sin anymore. You don't have to go back. You can put down that addiction, right? You can put down that bitter heart. You can put down that rebellion and disobedience and you can, by the power of the Spirit, choose to say I can because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You don't have to be enslaved to your past failures any longer because Jesus has finished for you what he started, right? And and you don't have to live a life of regret because I know you're like me. You look back over the course of your life and you regret some things. You regret where you failed. You regret some mistakes you made. But listen, all that's done Because Jesus finished for you what he started. And there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because he finished what he started for us. And this morning, as we close our time together, maybe for you, maybe for you for the first time, you need to give your life to the one who has finished for you what you could never finish for yourself. Maybe this morning for the first time, you need to experience salvation in Jesus Christ. You've lived your life apart from him. You've rebelled against him. But today, you can know his forgiveness. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And as we have a time of invitation, in the back of this room are two crosses. Make your way to one of those crosses. There will be somebody there who would love to talk to you and pray with you and help you begin our relationship with Jesus. Today, if you've never given your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, we want to challenge you to believe that he died and rose again for you. We want to challenge you to repent to turn from your sin and begin a new way of life by giving your life to him in faith and surrender. Today, let this be your day of salvation as you believe in the one who did for you what you could not do for yourself. Today is the day to give your life to him. Now, for those of us in this room who are followers of Jesus, today is the day to say, not I can't, but I can. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, because he now lives in you as a follower of Jesus Christ, You have no reason to say, I can't. And let's be honest. Now, come on. Some of us in this room, for far too long, we've been saying to God, I can't. Stop it. Today's the day to start saying, God, I can. Because the one who lives in me, I can. I can. And I don't know in what areas of your life you need to start saying to God, I can, but you do. Maybe as we have a time of imitation, you want to gather and ask God to forgive you of losing sight of the goal and ask God to help you today Begin saying, I can to him in whatever area of your life that you've been recently saying, I can't. You obey him in these moments. You come, pray, gather. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you for the opportunity to be together in this place at this time. And thank you, Jesus, that you finished for us what we could not finish for ourselves. That you lived faithfully before your Father for us. And you died in our place and rose again. And right now, I pray in this moment for people in this room who have never given their lives to Jesus. For that man, that woman, who has never trusted Christ as Lord, that today would be that person's day of salvation. And Father, for those of us who are followers of yours, we know it. We know those areas in our lives where we are saying, I can't. And so in this moment, I pray that your spirit will convict us and lead us today to start saying, I can. Whatever that looks like for us in 2020 and beyond, help us to be a people who say, God, we can because of you who dwells within us. So lead us now to respond in faith and obedience and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You rise to your feet as your time of invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.